Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the Virtual Voyage on Radio Free Hillsdale 101.7 FM. I'm your host, Abigail Snyder, and this is the Armchair Travel Show where you don't have to leave your comfort zone. If your comfort zone is your car, you stay there. If your comfort zone is your dorm room, you stay there. And if your comfort zone is your living room, you stay there. Last time on the virtual voyage, we were sitting outside Jericho in Israel, eating some delicious tender brisket and enjoying the Israeli pastry chocolate rugelosh, which is a yummy croissant-like dessert with a thick spread of chocolate in the middle. As you take your last bites of dessert, let's recap what happened last time. A few episodes ago, we met up with Professor Tom Meyer, who helped us to understand Jericho's archaeological history that actually backs up the biblical story of Jericho. Secular archaeologists believe that the story of the walls falling at Jericho never happened. But this was actually a mistake. These archaeologists misdated the walls. I won't go into all the details that Professor Meyer shared, but we do know that the walls fell thousands of years ago. So I hope you go home with renewed faith in the Bible. Archaeology is a tool that God gives us to understand and to strengthen our faith in his word. It certainly has done that for me here at Jericho, and I hope the same for you. Well, we also talked about how Jericho is both the oldest city in the world, in in terms of the oldest inhabited city in the world, and also the lowest city on earth that people actually live in. Who would have thought that one city could hold both titles? Remember that we also learned about the curse Joshua placed on Jericho. It truly says in the Bible that Joshua cursed the one who would try and rebuild Jericho at the cost of his oldest and his youngest sons. And we know that a man from the time of Ahab's reign, I believe that's going to be the 800s BC, he did indeed try and rebuild the city. And his oldest and youngest sons die according to what Joshua had pronounced. Do you also remember the special character we talked about? Rahab. Even though she was a prostitute, she was saved from death as she hid the Israelite spies and then had faith that the Lord is God in heaven above and on the earth below. She pleaded God's promises of faith and is even lauded in the special chapter of faith in Hebrews 11 as a woman of faith. I really do believe that she is such a key part of Jericho's story in the book of Joshua because it reminds us that God can save anyone. No sin is too bad. You know, Rahab was a prostitute, but God saved her from destruction and then changed her. I I say that because she ended up living with the Israelites in their camp after Jericho's destruction, which leads me to infer that she did not continue prostitution. We also got to see Jericho from above by heading up to the Mount of Temptation above Jericho by cable car, and I hope that you enjoyed that. There will be other neat cable car opportunities at some other stops here in Israel, so it won't be your last. Now, from that view, which was really awesome how we got to get the aerial view of Jericho, you could really see how Jericho is a tell. 
it rises above the ground because the lair that one people would have made at ground level originally was destroyed. And that results in another people then building on top of that. And that process continued, and that just made Jericho higher and higher with each successive conquering. And that's why tells look to rise a bit if you look at them from above. Well, now that we've all enjoyed some amazing food, let's head on to our next stop here on the virtual voyage on Radio Free Hillsdale 101.7 FM. We're just going to head across the street to a little known place. I know, your stomachs are full of some amazing food, and it's around 1 p.m. here in Israel. So that's the perfect time for a nap. Trust me, I'm an expert in 1 p.m. naps. For all three of my semesters at college, I've had a 1 p.m. class. And that class, even though the 1 p.m. classes have been really interesting, it's always a struggle to stay awake because you've just eaten and all you want to do is sleep. But we are in Israel, so what an opportunity we have to see the land of the Bible. So throw away your food wrappers, put on your hats, take a sip of water, and let's keep going. Follow me. Let me tell you about our stop as we walk over. Do you remember the story in Kings where people come to Elisha complaining about the water they have at Jericho? If you have a desire to look it up tonight when you're back in the hostel, it's from 2 Kings chapter 2, and it's a very interesting chapter of the Bible because it's the one where Elijah gets taken up to heaven. Remember that Elijah is one of the few people in the Bible who doesn't technically die. So there's Elijah and his protege, Elisha, and they're walking about. And Elijah keeps telling Elisha that the Lord has sent him to these various places. Elisha refuses to let Elijah go alone. And so they actually go to Jericho as one of their stops. It's two amazing men of God, Elijah and Elisha, who were both here in this area where we now stand. At one point, the Bible says that the company of prophets at Jericho ask Elisha, Do you know that the Lord is going to take your master from you today? And he says, Yes, I know, so be quiet. Well, that did happen. Elijah was taken up to heaven, and Elisha is upset. But he also knows Elijah's time on earth is over. And this story ties back into Jericho. I did tell you it was an important city, right? There's that company of prophets back at Jericho who tell Elisha that they will send out 50 men to go look for Elijah. They say that perhaps the spirit of the Lord has picked him up and set him down on some mountain or in some valley. But Elisha is adamant that this is not true. Elijah is really gone. Finally, Elisha is just too embarrassed to refuse their offer, and he sends the men from Jericho to look for his mentor. But after three days, there's still no sign of Elijah. The Bible says that when they returned to Elisha, who is staying in Jericho, he said to them, Didn't I tell you not to go? Right after this, the people of Jericho come to Elisha and tell him that their water supply is bad. It's making people sick, and it's not letting the crops grow as they should. Elisha has them bring him a bowl with salt. He throws the salt into a spring and heals the water, saying that never again will the water cause death or make the land unproductive. The Bible says that 
the water has remained pure to this day. And that's actually true. You are going to have the chance to attest to that fact in just a moment because we are heading to Elisha's spring. In fact, look down to the right. That little stream that we're walking alongside is actually water from Elisha's spring. The first time I came to the spot with my family, my siblings started walking through it. And you'll also see some of the locals in the spring cooling off. But I can do you one better than just looking at the water or wading through it. Follow me into this building. It's the pumping station. This is the place that provides Jericho with water and also gets water to the fields for irrigation. But also in here is the source of Elisha's spring. And I asked the owner of the building ahead of time if I could use the pump to give you all some of the water. Check it out. Below us there is the actual spring, and here's the pump. And I have plastic cups I'll fill up, and all of you can try the water. Ooh, what do you think? Kind of crisp, right? It's definitely refreshing water, and it's crazy to think that Elisha was once here. It's also crazy to think that this water was once dangerous, because now we can drink the very water because of its cleansing by Elisha thousands of years ago. Well, let's head on back to the bus here on the virtual voyage on Radio Free Hillsdale 101.7 FM. We have a bit of a walk since our driver, Mikhail, couldn't fit the bus all the way down the tiny side street we walked along to get to Elisha's spring. We have to return to the Jericho entrance parking lot. It should only be about a half mile or less away. Actually, this is the perfect time for me to teach you all a little Hebrew. After all, we are in Israel, and although we're kind of spoiled because of all the people in Israel who learn English for the English-speaking tourists like ourselves, wouldn't it be cool to say a little stuff in their language? Now, Hebrew is naturally a little harder for us to pick up because it uses a totally different alphabet. If you think about the other languages spoken today, you know, German, French, Italian, they all use our same alphabet for the most part. Even if you take Latin, like I do at college, you still don't have to learn a new alphabet. So here's my tip to all of you virtual voyagers wanting to get a little knowledge about Hebrew. When we're riding in the bus, like we do almost every day, look at all the signs along the road. A lot of the signs are in three languages, right? Hebrew, Arabic, and English. So try to compare the Hebrew to the English and see if you can make some inferences to what words mean what. Now, you won't be able to pronounce the Hebrew words due to the different alphabet, but you can at least start to see what words look like and correlate that visual to an English meaning. I think it would also be fun for us to start learning the alphabet together soon, so we should plan on that. But one of the really cool things about languages that has always fascinated me is that they are a way of communication that involves, at the beginning at least, copying others. Think about babies. Do they really know what they're saying? No. But they realize that stringing together words actually lets them communicate. Certain patterns of words like, I want food, result in an adult who can comprehend the meaning to act on what they've just said. Babies don't comprehend the full meaning of the, the subject, the verb, and the direct object. They're just following a pattern. 
And that's how they start to use language. So we can, I guess, act like a baby with Hebrew. And I'll, I'll share some phrases with you. And you just have to trust that they actually correlate to a specific meaning because you aren't able to comprehend the Hebrew just yet. Speaking of comprehension, I think the best simple sentence for you all to learn is one that will let you figure out whether the person you want to communicate with can talk in English. No joke. After I learned this phrase, I was obsessed. I remember learning it one night, and the next day I was taking a walk around the old city in Jerusalem. And at one point, I think I took a wrong turn, and I was just ecstatic to ask someone, Ata So if you want to ask someone if they understand English, so that you can then carry out a conversation in English with them, like I did with the man I met in the old city who helped me get right on my path, well, here's what you'd say. For a guy, you would say, Ata mavin englit. Ata mavin englit. Now, if you were talking to a girl, you would have to say something different. At mevina englit. At mevina englit. So, like some other languages, Hebrew has multiple words for you, which reflect the gender of the person you're speaking to. Both of those phrases, ata mevin englit and at mevina englit, both mean, do you understand English? But you have to tailor it whether you're talking to a guy or a girl. So now that you know how to ask someone if they understand English, you also need to be able to interpret their response. They will probably say one of three things and they might have a longer sentence included in there. So you'll just have to listen to pick out one of these words. Low, ken, or kazat. Low means no. Ken is yes. And kitsat is a little. So that's a lot, but let's practice this. Say you see someone and need to ask them a question. This person is a female. What do you say? Well, take a moment to think about it. Okay, to ask a female if they understand English, you will say, At mevina inglit? How many of you all got it? Raise your hands. Wow, a good number. Fantastic work, virtual voyagers. For a bonus point, if the person responds ken, ken, how would you proceed? Well, ken means yes. So if the person is saying that yes, they understand English, at that point, it's probably best to switch to English since otherwise you're going to be caught in a never-ending loop of asking someone if they understand English since that's all you know how to say. Well, look at that. We're already back on the bus. Time passes so quickly when we're learning and having fun. Everyone hop on in here on the virtual voyage on Radio Free Hillsdale 101.7 FM. So we have a two-hour drive or so here from Jericho to the region of Samaria. And there's a lot we're going to get to see. But first up, we're going to stop at Jacob's Well, which is located in a city in the region of Samaria called Shechem, or I think in Hebrew they say it Shechem. We'll talk more about Shechem when we actually arrive on location. A lot happened there we'll need to discuss. But for now, 
let's talk about the story of the Samaritan woman and why it's so special. So Jesus ends up going back to Galilee from Judea at one point, and he was all over the land of Israel and was constantly on the move. But for this specific journey, there were some options for routes he could have taken to get to Samaria where he met up with the Samaritan woman at the well, if you remember that story from the Gospels. So I want to talk about these three routes. We'll get more into the story of the Samaritan woman next time, but we're going to get some important context first. So the first route is the one that Jesus actually took to get back to Galilee, as is described in the Gospels, but it was not a popular route. And that seems strange because it was the most direct route, but it was also the most political route. The Jews and Samaritans were known to get violent with one another at points. And I think you'll understand this more when we visit Mount Gerizim and learn about the Samaritan religion and how they differ from the Jews on a few fundamental issues that really set them apart. Basically, taking a longer route that didn't go through Samaria ended up being safer for the Jews because it would avoid any potential arguments between the Jews and Samaritans. But it's significant that Jesus ended up taking that path because it's how he ended up in Samaria with the woman at the well. But a lot of people fail to recognize this necessary context and why it's so odd that Jesus was going through Samaria and talking with a Samaritan. The second route would have been longer by a few days, but it crossed through many Jewish communities, thus making it safer for Jews to journey through. It would have skirted around Samaria and actually crossed over the Jordan River twice. Okay, geography of Israel. This might be hard for you to picture, but Shechem is right in the middle of Israel and almost directly north of Jerusalem. Now think about this, then parallel to this straight shot of Shechem to Jerusalem is the Jordan River. So think of a line from Shechem to Jerusalem, and then think of the Jordan River being a parallel line to that. So I'm saying that instead of doing the straight shot through Shechem in, in Samaria, the Jews could have taken a longer path where they were just parallel, but east of that path going through Shechem. And to do this, to make this path that was a little longer, but still parallel, they would have had to pass over the Jordan River twice, which, like I said, parallels this path. There's also a third route to get to Galilee in the north from Jerusalem, or Judea in the south, and this route would take you west a little bit first in order to then parallel the Mediterranean Sea, and Israel's coast sits on this Mediterranean Sea. This also would have avoided Samaria and allowed a traveler to go on the coastal plain. The downside of this option is that it was the longest of all of the routes. So an understanding of those options will really help orient us as we look into the story of Jesus and the Samaritan woman at the well. Anyone who would have read the story in the Bible back in ancient times would have had to do a double take. This respected religious leader, Jesus, goes through this region of Samaria and stops and talks to a woman, a Samaritan nonetheless. That was just unheard of. The Jews and Samaritans hated each other. But as we know, Jesus cannot hate anyone. He wants to draw all people near to himself if they will accept him. As we'll learn next time, Jesus shows kindness to this woman 
who had lived a sinful life, and invites her to not only continue to drink water from Jacob's well, we'll see that next time, but he also invites her to accept his gift of living water. For whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And that's a great promise that still rings true today. We still have a little time left in the bus before we arrive at Shechem and actually see this well where Jesus talked with the Samaritan woman. It's an awesome sight. I give it a pretty high score on the authenticity meter, and I can't wait to check it out with you all next time. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of The Virtual Voyage, the armchair travel show with me, Abigail, on Radio Free Hillsdale 101.7 FM. I hope you'll tune back in next time as we head inside of Shechem and see Jacob's Well, the site where Jesus explains to the Samaritan woman that what people need is not water, which leaves them always longing for more, but living water which only he can offer.